Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Brazil, and I am the host of the show where I get to have conversations with Olympic athletes, hopefuls, and legends on their story and path to the games. Today, we have Sage Donnelly of USA Canoe and Kayak Olympic hopeful for 2020. Sage is incredible. Um, not only is she great at talking and explaining what her sport is, what her diseases are, and how they affect her, but she's just a great, all-around amazing person. Um, so I'm very grateful I had the opportunity to speak with Sage about canoe and kayak, what they are, what the differences are, what she does, um, her discipline, and then the discipline within the within the Olympics, which is also what she spends most of her time doing. But I guess hers, I would consider the one that she likes the most and has been doing since she was seven. Um, did you know you can do a cartwheel in a kayak? Learn something new every day. So please, please, please enjoy this incredible conversation with Sage Donnelly of USA Canoe and Kayak. All right. Today, special guest Sage Donnelly of USA Canoe and Kayak, Olympic hopeful for 2020, born July 22nd, 2000 in Carson City, Nevada or Nevada? I actually, I Nevada. forgot that. It is Nevada. I heard like for yeah. some reason people on the East Coast just say it wrong. And like, we're the I only know, place that does it. Crazy. <laughs> I don't know where it, I honestly, like, how did that happen? Like, why did we all of a sudden, whatever. Anyway, um, Sage Donnelly, Carson City, Nevada, diagnosed with type one diabetes at the age of three, also started kayaking at the age of three with her parents in the same boat. Kind of great. She then took her own boat at the age of five. She joined her first regional team at seven. She was then diagnosed with celiacs at eight and hypothyroid at 11. She is also the junior women's freestyle. She is a junior women's freestyle world champion, a multi-year women's freestyle champion nationally. 2014 canoe and kayak female paddler of the year, and has been on the U.S. senior and junior team for the last five years, and that includes multiple top ten finishes in the world. Sage, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes, it should be a blast. The pleasure is all mine. And yeah, the Nevada, Nevada thing is very confusing to me. And I hear it's just East Coast people, which is crazy. It, just, it, I don't it get genuinely it. is just East Coast people. I've been around the world and everyone else pronounces it Nevada when they've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. All right. Well, I'm never going to remember, but um, hopefully for this conversation, I will. Awesome. Um, all right, Sage. So when I think of Nevada... Okay, I guess it's right. Awesome. Nevada. Uh, Nevada. When I think of Nevada, uh, I think of the desert and obviously Las Vegas. Um, where are all the rivers that you kayaked down <laughs> when you were growing up? Okay, so here's actually a fun fact. Nevada is one of the most mountainous states in the U.S. Um, so Las Vegas and the deserty part is obviously down in the south of Nevada. But where I live, I'm actually up by Lake Tahoe. We have all the ski, res ski resorts up there. And I also live about a half hour drive from the border of California. Um, so they have fantastic rivers all over California. Um, I live 30 minutes from the Truckee River where we have a white water park and I can train. Um, I live on the Carson River so I can literally drive two minutes away from my house and be on the river training. Um, so there's actually a lot of rivers. It's like a little hidden gem where I live. Um, and lots of people don't expect it. They just think, you know, deserts and dryness. But it's actually like a little um, whitewater utopia um, around where I live. I would honestly have never expected. I know it's more than just the desert. Um, 
But yeah, I definitely would not have expected it's one of the most mountainous states. That is really, really interesting. So little fun fact. Look at this. You hear us talk. You learn something. It's a good day to be alive. Um, so I guess what was growing up? I mean, obviously, it's probably something you've done, I mean, since three. So anything you've ever known. But what was it like? Were your parents avid white water rafters? Like what was the whole story behind you eventually just, you know, starting the sport? Yeah, so my parents actually learned how to kite for their honeymoon. My mom went on a rafting trip before they got married and saw some people kayaking and was just like, I want to learn how to do it. Um, so they basically, they got into it. They were super outdoorsy, rock climbing, skiing, snowboarding, all of that. Um, so I was, I was just brought up with this super outdoorsy family. Um, as soon as I was born, I was on multi-day rafting trips. Um, in an inflatable kayak. Um, when I was two, my dad put me in the front of a two-person boat, and we started running rivers together with my mom and her own boat with us. So it's this, this really big family thing, and I was, was literally just raised in it and brought up with it and outdoors, and, you know, I just, I fell in love with it at such a young age, um, and, you know, when I was five, I got my own boat, and it just kind of, you know, kept going up from there. When I was seven, I learned how to roll my kayak back up, um, and I started actually competing. And then after that, could it you just kept getting, could kayak. you explain what that means? What does roll your kayak up mean? Cause I've never course, been in a kayak before. So that doesn't, I have no idea. Right. Sorry. Um, no, you're so perfect. Rolling your kayak basically is when you are in the white water, um, you know, I run waterfalls and very hard stretches of white water, but even if you're just in a moving part of the river, there is a risk of your kayak flipping over so upside down so you actually are under the water um and basically to roll your kayak is to bring it from upside down back to right side up using your paddle and basically your abs and your hips um so yeah I learned how to do that when I was seven and that was like a huge like thing for me because after that it's pretty much like you're unstoppable um yeah you can you can roll over you can roll back up and you know I started doing flips after that um and yeah everything just played out took off from there and as soon as I started competing um I just have become more and more involved in kayaking <laughs> I love it I mean that's super cool thank you for that explanation again I of always want to make sure like this is not I I love all sports if there is a competition on I will watch it I, I don't really know what I'm watching half the time but I will 100% watch it um so thank you for that explanation I really do appreciate it um yeah that is that is really interesting and then so I mean so throughout this time okay time out actually uh, let's explain kayaking and canoeing. So what course, yeah. are, so again, I, I'm sure there's a million different ways to do this, but I, again, I want to focus on the Olympics and what we're going to be watching, um, come 2020. I've actually watched it on the, uh, the Olympic channel before the slalom mm -hmm. and that looks insane. Um, so I mean, watching it is way more fun than I expected it to be, you know, hand up, that's me. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you could just kind of explain what some of the competitions are on the Olympics, maybe some of the, of uh, compare and contrast and then the difference in between the kayak and canoe I, you know I definitely would love mm -hmm. to educate the audience as well as myself a little bit on the sport of course so I started in what's called freestyle kayaking which is basically if you imagine an ocean wave but it's stationary and it's in a river um and basically doing front flips back flips cartwheels um and being judged on those tricks you throw um so with freestyle in the competition you actually get a 45 second ride to throw as many tricks as you can and each trick has a definition and the judges decide if you are completing that trick to the definition and if they think you are then you get a certain amount of points 
And whoever has the top amount of points after everyone's done their 45 second ride wins. Um, so I started doing that when I was seven. Um, and that was like my main like focus. Um, and then when I was around eight, um, I got my first slalom boat. And basically slalom is what you see in the Olympics. It's um, if you imagine skiing slalom. So we have gates we have to go through from top to bottom of the course going through whitewater during all that but we have gates we have to go back up through and we have gates we have to go down through um and you get two seconds added onto your time if you touch a gate and you get 50 seconds added onto your time if you miss a gate um so that's all time-based you have judges to think say if you miss a gate or if you touched a gate um but that's all mainly time-based and then in slalom there's actually what's called canoe and kayak so basically kayak is what you'll you know most of the time see people have lake kayaks ocean kayaks and that's basically you're sitting on your butt you have your legs out in front of you slightly bent um and you have two what's called paddle blades on the side of your paddle and that's little stick things we're holding um as we're going down using to turn and propel us forward um and then in canoe we're actually kneeling in the boat so we have our legs behind us um, and we have half a paddle basically. Um, so we have a little grip on the top that we call it a T grip and we only have half the paddle. Um, so that's the difference. But up until now, there's only been kayak men's, canoe men's, canoe two-person men's and kayak women's in the Olympics. But coming 2020, we will actually have, um, canoe women's added. So it'll be equal and great so i'm super excited for that yeah finally equality yeah it only took like another 70 years or whatever but okay cool that's great hey we're here now let's let's keep moving it forward awesome yeah yeah so basically um how i got into slalom was when i turned eight um this local um paddler that's been around for years um actually gave me a slalom boat and was like hey i think you'd be good at this because I would get in my little play boat. So basically a, a freestyle boat is much smaller. It's about half this, half, half to a third of the size of the slalom boat lengthwise. Um, so it's meant for like, you know, doing front flips and cartwheels. Um, so I would play around on um, little local slalom courses and races in my uh, freestyle boat, but obviously it's not meant for that. So it wasn't very fast. Um, so I was given my first slalom boat and it's this very long pointy boat um and it can turn on its stern really fast and it's completely different so I was like okay this is cool and I just started doing it and then as I got the first year you can make um U.S. team and represent at world championships is the year you turn 15 and I I got to around about the year before that and I would always kind of just shown up to slalom races like occasionally and, you know, done my thing. Um, but about the year before, I realized, I was like, hey, I could make, you know, U.S. team for this and freestyle, which freestyle had been my goal forever. Um, and they asked. So I just started training. I made my first U.S. team in um, 2015. And uh, then I set my sights on the Olympics after that. And then I've been training, mo- mostly focusing on slalom ever since then. That is awesome. Thank you so much for that story. That is that is crazy. I mean, there are so many. What I've found is in every single time I get to talk to an incredible athlete like yourself, there's always like a like a like a, a fork 
Like, it's like a very easy, like this guy could have just been like, I don't want to give you a boat. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> okay. And then that's the whole different direction. But instead this gentleman, and I'm sure there's a little bit more to it, but he gave you that boat. And now you get to spend time with me hanging out on like a Monday night. Um, talking about your, your incredible career. So I think it's just very weird how all this happens and it's so easy to say no, or it's so easy that things do not happen, but thankfully you did. And thankfully that gentleman did. And we said yes to the situation and you're here now. And I think that that is super, super cool. So thank you very much for that Sage. That was fantastic. Um, all right. So back to more of your story, I guess you gave us a little bit. So wait, actually one more time, you keep saying cartwheel. How do you do a cartwheel in a boat? Like, I, like I, I'm trying to think of it through. You've said it like six times now, and I can see myself doing a cartwheel. I can see a gymnast doing a cartwheel. I don't see a boat doing a cartwheel. You have to explain it to us. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, how do I explain this? Okay. Also, so, do you have videos of yourself doing this on YouTube that I could then yeah, put in sorry. the show notes? Yes, okay. So just yeah, for everyone listening, Sage will explain this verbally, but you will be able to watch <laughs> once this episode comes out in about a week or so. Okay. I'm sorry. Keep going. Okay. So basically because freestyle boats are so short, we can actually put them on end. If, if that makes sense. So there's like, there's a front end and a back end and we're like, we're in the middle controlling everything with our legs and our core and our paddle. Um, so basically with a cartwheel, you rock your boat forward on, on its side. Sounds a bit weird, but you rock it forward on its side. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And then you, um, you then quickly rotate, um, around like behind you and like, you're pulling with one side of your paddle and rotating the other way. So it's kind of like, like scissors more or less like opening and closing. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then you, you bring it back around onto the back of your boat and then that brings you around. And like, basically if you imagine a three sixty but just vertical. Basically. Okay. 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 That makes sense. <laughs> I think I got it. I think I got it. But again, please okay, send those okay, links. Okay. And just in case somebody out there didn't get it, send those links so that I can throw them into of the course. show notes as well. That would be fantastic. Awesome. Okay, cool. Back to the story. Um, so we went over it in the beginning a little bit. So at three, you were diagnosed with type one diabetes at mm -hmm. eight celiacs and at 11 hypothyroid, um, type one diabetes. So I guess explain I, I know what type two diabetes is. How exactly does type one type one is genetic, correct? Um, well, or, technically it can not be genetic, but in my case it was, uh, my grandpa was actually diagnosed when he was three as well. Um, but he died shortly after I was born from complications from the disease, unfortunately. Um, so basically, um, type one diabetes is caused by an immune response that's triggered by something so for me we could actually look back and I got pneumonia a few months before I was diagnosed um, so the pneumonia actually triggered a reaction in my body and that reaction in my body actually killed off my pancreas so my pancreas is what creates insulin and insulin is used in your body to break down carbohydrates and food into energy so if you don't have insulin if your pancreas isn't making insulin Basically, what happens is nothing can be done with the carbohydrates that you're eating. Um, so basically, you can't you can't get energy, and you your body will slowly start to eat away at your muscle, and you'll slowly starve. Plus, there's 
other complications if gone untreated um, with high blood sugars and low blood sugars and all that. But luckily, my dad is actually a firefighter paramedic. So as soon as I started having signs, we're actually on a river trip in Idaho. um, And we got off and I'm a kid who never woke up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And I started having to go every two hours and drinking a ton of water. And basically, I was lucky that my parents knew that those were signs of diabetes. So they're like, basically, it's a urinary tract infection or it's diabetes. So my dad actually drove straight home, brought me into his fire station and checked my blood sugar. And it was very high. Um, At my age at the time, I should have been around 150. And I was 380. So that kind of gives you a gauge. Um, So we called my doctor like, hey, Sage is a diabetic. and obviously, I don't remember much because I was three. But basically, after that, it was getting used to insulin shots every day and learning how to manage it. And it's a it's a twenty four seven job. So now you have like three jobs, I'm assuming at this point. So wow, um, yeah. thank you for the explanation. Yeah. Um, that was fantastic. I've never heard it explained that easy before. So really appreciate that. I'm sure everyone else listening who doesn't really know. I mean, I know what it is. I know it if I see it. Uh, I couldn't really explain it kind of thing. So thank you for that. I really do appreciate it. Um, So that was at three. So you've, again, it's been mostly your entire life. So it's kind of second nature to you, right? Um, Yes. Eight, though, you were diagnosed with celiacs. Now, again, pretty sure I know what it is. But if you don't mind giving us a really great explanation, that would be cool, too. So yeah, so basically, actually, most diabetics are either diagnosed with celiac disease or thyroid disease. I was lucky enough to get both. Um, celiac disease is technically it's an allergen to gluten, but the problem is it's actually a disease because it's an autoimmune response. So basically if I eat any wheat, rye, barley, or oats, um, my intestines inflame, which causes, makes it unable for me to absorb any nutrients, which clearly leads to a lot of bad things. Um, so I'm gluten-free. Um, And then thyroid disease, hypothyroid, is when your body actually makes your thyroid stop working, which is um, a little spot in your throat um, that gives out um, hormones and a bunch of important stuff like that. Um, So I take medication for that every morning, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but the levels change a lot. So I get to have a lot of blood draws and get to for that i like the way you think you get to you're lucky because if you didn't get to then it's bad so yeah no i like that i like that yeah um so yeah so basically it's just it's managing it's just a part of my life and you know i don't like to let any of it stop me and it's just adapting and you know working with it yeah i mean there's really not much you can do right like you might as well (laughs) take it in in stride i mean that's really all we can do at this point because if you're not you're in a worse way worse situation. So you might as well live it to your fullest if you can and you're capable and you're able. I mean, heck yeah, let's go. And and clearly you are. Um, Again, I don't need to read all the accolades. We'll get there again, I'm sure towards the end of the conversation, but you've, you've, you've overcome a little bit, I'd say. Um, So congratulations. I think that's fantastic. Um, So, so with all the scheduling and the arrangement and the structure, getting used to, again, it's kind of become second nature, but how have you been able to spin it into a positive? So the, the question essentially is like, did, did this help with training, not from the physical aspect of training, but from the mental, like always needing to be on schedule and regimented and processed? Did, were you able to kind of parlay that into, okay, well, I can do all this 
for these diseases that I have to take care of. Now all I have to do is just kind of shift that mental focus over here to the training aspect. Um, I would say in a bit of a way, yes. Um, but as far as, as far as training goes, um, I've actually, I mean, I've been homeschooled my whole life. Um, so like self-motivation and scheduling and just, you know, just going for it has always just been, you know, something that I've just been raised to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so as far as like bringing in like the training program and everything, it was pretty much just second nature to me, Mm -hmm. honestly. Like I love to train. I love my sport. I love pushing myself as hard as I can. So I, I wouldn't really say that I brought over much in that aspect. Um, from diabetes to training, but I will say, as far as understanding my body, knowing what my body's feeling and what it's needing, um, and just mental toughness. Honestly, I think those are those are definitely the three biggest things that I've definitely gained and learned and you know gotten better with uh, with diabetes. Um, so that would say that's that's the way it's helped me with my training mm-hmm. the most. And that, that makes sense. Um, you know, the mental toughness I think is, is the most important obviously. Um, cause what the physical side is only so much, uh, you definitely need that mental side as well. And then to the physical side, like, have you, again, you've lived with it your whole life, but have you been able to see certain times or, or been training with other people that you've kind of either seen something in yourself or, or, or kind of compared and contrasted yourself to them at any point and seen like, whoa, okay, this is, this is a little off or I need to do more of this or less of that. How often does that come up? Um, I mean, I'm, that's, that's an interesting question. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, that I, means I'm doing something was, good. So I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, okay. So I'm a bit of an odd duck as far as it comes to, um, to training. Um, because I live in Nevada, which actually doesn't have any place to do slalom or any slalom coaches or any slalom athletes. <laughs> um, so the whole U.S. team actually lives in either North Carolina or D.C. pretty much. Um, so I hardly ever see them. Like I see the U.S. team for world championships and world cups, and that's pretty much it. Um, so I actually kind of just hopscotch around from like, I would just spent a month and a half training with uh, part of the Spanish team. Um, and kind of like that, like now I'm in the UK, I'm training with some British coaches. So I, I am lucky. I get to see so many different athletes and how they train and how their coaches train and what they're doing. Um, and I think, I think most of the time, um, I, I see a lot of technical stuff. I think that's mainly like where I I grow um, with being able to be around people is I'll see like someone is doing this on, you know, this part of the river and, you know, trying that and just really being able to pick up like little technical things and habits that, you know, some of the top athletes have and being able to adapt them to my own um, paddling. Um, But as far as like the actual like training plan goes, um, I don't usually change that too much. most of the time I, um, I work with a Spanish coach and he, he sends me out training plans luckily. Um, and I just, I kind of go off of that. And sometimes like when I'm out here, I'll adapt it a bit. Um, but I would say, yeah, I would say mainly that I, I get the most from, from learning like technical stuff Mm -hmm. from other athletes. Very cool. Yeah. I mean that, that definitely 
it's it's nice to watch and learn. I mean, film study, right? Uh, you know, for just yeah, you know, other sports, like you have to watch what other people are doing. Um, and then, you know, you could at least try it. If it works for you, if it doesn't, tweak it, do what you got to do. Um, so I think that that's very important. So um, with when was your first, I guess, so you were telling us before the so at 15 correct you was when you joined the national team what was that like yeah. what like it was it a letter in the mail was it an email did someone send you a text message like how did that how did that process go down and I guess what it, how, how do you actually become a member of team USA um so we actually have team trials uh for example so I'm just gonna go off my first year making your perfect US team um, it was, we had our world championships. So our junior world championships were in the beginning of the year. So it was in April of 2015. So we actually had our team trials in, I think, October of 2014. And basically, um, a new place is generally selected every year, um, throughout the courses we have on the East coast. Um, so that year it was in Dickerson, Maryland. Um, and basically you show up a week or two early. I think we had about a week of training there because um, you have to schedule water time. And on that course, it was particularly hard to get water time. <laughs> um, so you show up a week early. Basically, you learn the course as well as you can. You put, you know, gates in as many different spots as possible to learn how to do it and what's the fastest way to do it. And then come race day, um, normally normally team trials is a three-day race um it depends it changes so like for olympics we'll have two weekends that are two-day races um but for normal just world championships years uh we usually do a three-day race um so off of that you take you do two runs each day um and you take the top three best times from each day plus your fourth fastest time so you want to have like good consistent runs mm -hmm. every day and then basically you know pretty much by the third day who's going to be on team um and then after after the end of the third day you get your awards they announce the u.s team and then uh, a few days later normally well actually normally the end of that day you have to either accept or decline your spot um and then after that it's just deciding what races you go to after that so it's a pretty it's a fast process just mm -hmm. because it is a smaller sport. So you pretty much know right then and there. Um, but as far as how it felt, it was incredible. It was something, you know, I've been dreaming about for since I was little. Um, and, you know, I actually, I was really, really nervous for my first team trials because I actually broke my wrist a week and a half before. <laughs> um, so I just went out there and paddled as hard as I could. I was in so much pain. Um, and I actually ended up winning um, my category for junior canoe and junior women's kayak. Um, and then, yeah, I went to my first junior world championships in Brazil in April, which was an incredible experience. That, and oh, that's still only a couple weeks after you broke your wrist. So good for you. Congratulations. Uh, that is, Thank you. That is fantastic. And so this was 2013? 20, end of no, 2014. 2015. 2014. Okay, okay. So 2013 – you already have been on the national scene, uh, as I said, junior women's national freestyle champion, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I guess that was, was that kind of your, let's call it your coming out party? Was that when people were like, hey, this Sage girl, she looks like she knows what she's doing. 
Um, so for for there's two two national championships uh, okay. from 2013. Um, I ca- honestly cannot remember if I went to the slalom one. I don't think I did because I think I wasn't quite old enough yet. Okay. Um, but I believe the one you're looking at is from freestyle. And mm-hmm. honestly, um, I've been doing freestyle since I was seven. Um, it basically freestyles in my blood. I just I love it. It's an amazing sport. Um, but as far as like my coming out party with freestyle, it's kind of just always been like I've always just kind of been there. Um, like I've been I'd been competing in junior competitions and junior national championships for for years and I think actually I won my first senior women's competition when I was nine and so basically it was just kind of everyone just kind of knew I was there and it it got to the point like coming into 2015 where I actually was so in my head and freaked out because I there had been like a couple articles written like oh Sage Donnelly made U.S. team she's going to world championships she's expected to win and I had a little freak out. I was like, oh my God, everyone is expecting this from me. What if I don't do it? Um, but, you know, luckily I pulled myself together <laughs> and everything worked out. But um, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've always just been in the sport um, and I've always just loved it and, you know, done my thing. And so, it's, yeah, it's just, it's it's such a tight knit family that it's mm-hmm. just, it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I missed that one from nine years old because I definitely would have brought that up. So my apologies. <laughs> I'll do better research oh, next good. time. Um. So I so 2014 though you were the canoe and kayak female paddler of the year. How is, is that voted amongst peers, coaches? How, like, so what what does it mean to you when something like that? You know, again at a very young age, at 14 years old, that is kind of the peers or whoever voted on that, they say, Hey, this is, this is yours. Congratulations. What does that mean to you when you kind of know that everyone else around you, not that they notice you, but that they, they appreciate you and what you bring to the sport. Uh, the, the female paddler of the year award was one of the best feelings I think I've ever had. Um, basically I was lucky enough to be nominated because of my 2013 season. Um, basically what happened is I was this little 12 to 13 year old and our top u.s woman was actually pregnant so she was out for the season and i was able to show up at all these really big competitions and actually win um so i had a great year i think i won the gopro mountain games that year and i think i won my local river festival the reno river festival and it was it was such a fun year um but after that, uh, I guess some people took notice and they nominated me for the 2014 Female Paddler of the Year. And basically after that, um, I believe that award is all just anyone can vote and whoever has the most votes wins in the end. Um, so yeah, I was lucky enough to have a huge support system, lots of family and friends, other kind people that I don't even know that were were nice enough to appreciate my accomplishments. And yeah, I couldn't believe that I won. I was up against so many incredible women. And yeah, when they announced my name, I was shocked. Well, congratulations. I mean, clearly it sounds very well-deserved. Um, and, you know, take advantage of the situations in life. I mean, congratulations to that woman for getting pregnant and having a baby. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but thankfully you and were don't able... don't worry, she's won multiple national or oh, world uh, championships after I'm that. Sure, so I'm sure is, that's even better. Feeling it. <laughs> Love to hear that. That's always great. Um, 
but we're here to talk about you, Sage. So yeah, I'm sure she's fine, whatever. Um, but no, <laughs> congratulations. I think it's super, there's again, there's just so many opportunities that if you are just in there, I don't believe in luck, but if you're in the right place at the right time and good things can happen, um, they do. And clearly you were able to take advantage of that at, at a very young age. So, so 2012, 13, 14, were pretty crazy. Um, 2015, again, mistake, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was your first world championship experience for slalom correct mm -hmm. okay what what was that like now you're on the biggest of big stages right because world championships is huge um i don't know how it works in kayak and canoe but i know in a lot of other sports the competition level is at the exact same if not even higher for world championships than it is in the olympics mm -hmm. um because of how the olympics works with qualification and everything so tell me if i'm wrong there but what was that like and just being able you know 15 years old getting to race and compete against some of the best in your sport from absolutely around the country, around the world. It was, it was amazing. Um, so in 2015, I had my first junior world championships in April. So I was actually still 14 and I was this, you know, little kid. I had done like three international races, I think. And I showed up in Brazil and it was, it was insane. Um, the, the competition level was, was so high and just be watching all these these athletes that you know I had been watching compete in junior and under 23 world championships for like a year or two I was suddenly there with them and it was it was so eye-opening and just you know kind of crazy um to, to just be there and paddle with them and you know it was it was incredible and then I actually was able to make uh, semifinals in both canoe and kayak there um and which was above and beyond what I ever expected to do. Um, so it was, it was an amazing experience. And then actually later that year, I was also able to compete in the Pan American Games for Slalom, uh, which was another amazing experience. Um, and then at the end of the year in 20, in uh, August of 2015, um, I had my freestyle, my first freestyle world championships, which I actually won. So that year was just a whirlwind for me. Congratulations. Freestyle. Yeah, it sounds like the all the freestyle conversation is going to end with and yeah, I won. So congratulations on all of it in case I missed one at, at some point during our conversation. Congratulations for all of it. Clearly, that is your sport. What do we have to do to make sure that that's an Olympic sport next time? Because it sounds like we have a guaranteed gold medal winner on our hands. Like, I, why, why is that not in it? Because I want to see people do kayaks, cartwheels and kayaks like that, that. I've never seen it before. So why can't that be an Olympic sport? So the thing is, it is so hard to get a new sport into the Olympics because um, they have specific medal counts and specific athlete counts that they can't go over. So for every sport that's added, they actually have to remove a sport. Um, so now I was mentioned earlier that canoe women's had just been added to the 2020 Olympics. So they actually had to take out canoe two-person men's in order to put canoe women's in. Um, so as far as that goes, because we've just gotten a brand new sport in, I think it'll be a while before freestyle gets in, unfortunately, um, just because, you know, it is such a hard process and it can't just be any sport that's taken out. It has to be something like specifically canoe and kayak mm -hmm. related. Um, so unfortunately it, it'll probably be a while, but you know, there's still world championships and everything. And hopefully we're trying to get more and more media in to people to tune in and watch our world championships and world cups and all that. So just trying to make the sport grow right now. If there's anything I can do to help 
let me know. I'd love that opportunity. Um, but okay. Anyway, congratulations on all of it. One more time. That is awesome. Unfortunately, but uh, as you said, there's still world championships and the, the competition is still extremely high. So you still get that opportunity. So hopefully you get to take home. And, and those are every other year, correct? World championships? Uh, yes. World championships for freestyle are every other year. And on the even years, we have our World Cups. And then for slalom, we have world championships and world cups with every year except for Olympic years. We mm-hmm. don't have world championships. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, because that's essentially replacing it in some way, yeah, shape, or form. So, exactly. <laughs> all right. That totally makes sense. So 2015, still crazy. 2016, the goal was to go to the Olympics, correct? It was. It was kind of – I always knew it was a bit – of a far-fetched mm-hmm. goal because I was only 15 at our team trials. Um, and for, for women's kayak, it is actually only one spot is given for, for all slalom sports. So it's only one man goes, one kayak man goes, one canoe man goes, one kayak woman goes, woman goes, and one canoe woman goes. Wow. Um, yes. Which at the time it was only one kayak woman, um, for, for as far as female team, teams go um so I knew kind of in the back of my mind that it wasn't like a huge definite thing that would happen um but you know I showed up to team trials I I tried to race the best I could and um I think I was second or third that year I can't remember um but you know it was a huge growing experience it was it was great to learn you know how Olympic team trials would feel um and you know just prepare myself and you know learn how much I I would have to improve for 2020 and you know it was still fun and I got to race against my fellow athletes um I made canoe women's team for for senior team that year um so it was still it wasn't a complete bust um and yeah still a lot of positives that came hard out. Since then. Yeah. that's what we got to do right No, so still a lot of positives came from it it sounds like uh which I think obviously is the, the most important part um no such thing as failure, uh, only lessons to be learned. So uh, as long as you're learning something from it, as you said, and, and again, I, you even made the senior team for canoe. So clearly it wasn't a bust, as you said. Uh, so I think that that's great. And congratulations again. I say that a lot. Maybe I'll stop saying congratulations because there's too many. Um, just give you a nice head nod. That way the people listening don't have, okay. to, don't have to bother. But um, I think that that's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and yeah, as you said, now you know what you need to do um, for 2020, which is coming up. I uh, don't want to skip just there yet. So when I was on your website and, and perusing around the internet, I really didn't see too much from 17, 18, and 19. Maybe I didn't look hard enough. Maybe I had to kind of dig a little bit deeper. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, like what, what, I know you haven't been sitting on your couch, I'm sure for the last three years. Uh, but what have you been doing for the last few years? And, and, uh, you know, you've told us already you're hopping, hopscotching to use your word around the world to train with other athletes, to train with other coaches. But if you don't mind giving us a little bit more insight into the last few years and kind of what you've been doing to get ready for 2020. Well, I definitely haven't been updating my website. Good to know. All right. The past few years. <laughs> okay. All right. In that case. Um, basically 20, 2017 was a pretty good year for me. Um, I made my first final uh, for junior women's kayak at world championships and I competed in my first World Cups, uh, or yeah, first World Cups in kayak and canoe um, on the senior level. So it was just, it was a big, it was a fun year. Um, I mainly focused on slalom that year. And then I think I did some like some bigger creek races, which creek racing is um, is going from point A to point B on harder whitewater. 
um, without any gates or anything. They're normally like longer courses and everything. Um, so I just, I would kind of, I would just show up. We have a lot of those local races. Um, and basically as far as, as far as training goes, I was in Slovakia for a few months, Italy. Um, and yeah, I came back for winter training, did a bunch of, um, training camps with the U S team. And then into 2018, um, what did I do in 2018? This year's <laughs> been so busy. <laughs> it's hard to keep track. Um, uh, let's see. 2018, I traveled more, oh, won more races. 2017, back to 2017. I also um, competed in freestyle world championships down in Argentina um, and got second um, in junior women's freestyle. Um, and then, yeah, into 2018, I did, oh, that's what I did. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. This is fun. Um, Watching you kind of like rack your brain on what happened two years ago is great. (laughs) Um, so let's see, 2018, I actually went to most of the senior world cups. Um, I think I made my first couple semifinals, um, on the senior level, which was incredible. Um, and then. I went to Junior World Championships in Italy, um, was sixth in Junior Women's Canoe, um, which was my last year as a junior, unfortunately, sad times. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I spent all my, most of my winter training in um, Spain. I spent two months in Spain freezing my butt off with the Spanish team. And then I spent a month in the UK, went out to Australia, did some races there. And into 2019, um, I made U.S. senior team for slalom, canoe and kayak, and freestyle team. Um, I went to the first couple World Cups and didn't have the best World Cup race in the beginning of the year, so I didn't make semifinals. Um, then I went to freestyle world championships, which was my first year in seniors. Um, so that was, that was intense. Um, but I ended up sixth, um, just make, missing the cut for finals. Um, but I actually finished the competition. My prelims ride had the highest score out of the whole competition. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just didn't put it together for, for semifinals. Um, but I had only, I literally trained two weeks of freestyle before the event and otherwise I've just been doing slalom because I've really been trying to get ready for uh for the Olympics mm-hmm. um, yeah just nice little humble brag in there whatever yeah, I only did it for two <laughs> weeks and I got the best score of the competition not a big deal not a big deal uh but it wasn't what it should have been unfortunately but you know live and learn um so yeah then after that I went to under 23 world championships uh so it was my first year in under 23s which is everyone from 18 to 23 Mm -hmm. um so it's even a higher level than juniors everyone's faster um I ended up 13th in women's canoe um just missing out on finals because of one mistake on my run which which sucks but I was still pretty happy with it as my you know debut year into into the big big guns um but yeah, then I went to two more World Cups, made semifinals there for canoe, and then it was on to World Championships where we 
had our first um, kind of Olympic qualifiers. Um, and another one of my fellow teammates actually um, qualified the U.S. country spot um, for for the U.S. team. Um, but yeah, now we have to we have to go to team trials, battle it out. That's the only way to do it. And it's still it's still just one spot for female canoe and female kayak, correct? Yes. So there's two spots. So, but there, so there's two spots total. Um, and how do you feel about? Because you're on both teams. So how do you feel about either of those spots um, when it does come times to trials? You know, honestly, um, right now I'm just focusing on improving, um, improving my technique, improving my power. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not really thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about how I can improve as a paddler. And when the time comes, if I can put it together, amazing. But if not, you know, there's a bunch of other races to do in the summer and there's, there's always 2024. I mean, I've got some incredible competition to go up against. So. Yes, as you should. I mean, hey, it's the, uh, it's, it's the, as you call it, the big guns, I think. So uh, I like that. Um, and yeah, again, it's, it's crazy, but you know, your second quadrennium, quadrennial, whatever the heck they call it in the Olympics is, you know, your age 20 year. Um, and I think like right around the time the Olympics start would be your 20, 20th birthday. So heck, mm-hmm. if you don't make it till you're 24, I think you're still considered a prodigy at that point. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Um, I mean, thank you so much, Sage. That was awesome. Very thorough, very good understanding of the sport of you as a person. Um, just one last question. I always, as I said in the beginning, before we started, I always want to give you the opportunity. Um, you've obviously been in your sport for your whole life. Um, pretty much my whole life at this point. And I, I always want to understand like biology says you can't possibly compete at the highest level till the end of time. Um, so I'm always curious, what is your post-career career? I'm always interested if it's just completely getting out of the sport and only doing it for fun, or are you going to be a coach on the U S national team or the Spanish national team or wherever? Um, so I just want to give you a couple minutes just to kind of hear like, what are, what are you thinking? And if it's nothing, heck, just keep doing what you're doing then, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm actually in, uh, I do online university right now. Um, I'm thinking about getting my bachelor's in psychology. Um, but I might change it to something like geology. I haven't quite decided yet. (laughs) A little different, Um, little different, but okay. Still, still at the point I can decide. Cool. So I'm actually taking a geology class next semester to see how I like it. Um, and yeah, as far as, as far as coaching everything, I definitely, I think I want to stay in the sport and, you know, maybe be able to coach, um, a local team, uh, wherever I decide to live. Um, I don't know really if I'll, I'll go for like the national team coach route just because there are so many great coaches out there. Um, and you know, I, I think I kind of, kind of want to make a little bit more money than that. (laughs) just to pay for all my medical supplies. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I have, I have a couple options I'm exploring right now, but there's definitely a after career plan for me. Good. Keep it that way. I think by the time I was 24, I already changed careers. So you got some time. Don't <laughs> worry. Take the time, enjoy it, find something you love doing and just run with it. There's money everywhere. You just have to find it. It's oh, yeah. Deal, but yeah, awesome. And then there, there is one more option that yeah. I might become a firefighter. So. Okay. Thank you for your service. We appreciate Don't that. Don't know. <laughs> hey, if it's that, that's in your blood too, right? That was what you said your dad was. So clearly, yeah. um, you know, I, I can totally understand and uh, that, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's what so. my dad does. And then my mom actually used to be a wildland firefighter. 
So it's just in my family. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. All right. Well, again, thank you for what you do. If you do end up down that road, I mean, I'll thank you again in like 10 or 15 years when that might come to fruition. <laughs> but until then, you know, if even that's on the table, you're more, you're more impressive of a person than I am. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, last time Sage Donnelly, USA Canoe and Kayak Olympic hopeful for 2020. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time today, Sage. This was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you very much for listening to this episode with Sage. Uh, as I said, she was awesome, very charismatic, very fun to talk to, and I hope you had as much fun listening as I did during that conversation. Please make sure to follow Sage on all of her um, socials. Everything's in the show notes, as well as the link to watch her do a cartwheel in a kayak and maybe some others as well. Uh, make sure to follow us on everything. All of our information is in the show notes as well. And please make sure to give us five stars or a star or just give us a nice review or rating to the show. That way more people have the opportunity to check out these incredible stories like the one with Sage um, and some of the other amazing, amazing athletes I've had the opportunity to have conversations with. So without taking up any more of your time, I hope you make it a wonderful day. <laughs>